Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin, our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know, I couldn't sleep last night, and I said, what's the problem here? What's the problem here? Some days, folks, don't you feel like you got the world on your shoulders, don't you, Mr. Producer? And you're looking out. Outside your window, outside your house, and you're thinking, gee whiz, why is it that so many people are persuaded to support tyranny, to destroy their own lifestyles? You're looking out the window and you're wondering. I said to myself, what else can I do? I don't know what else I can do. Then I thought, let me, let me put pen to paper. Let me write something, and maybe you Levinites, millions of you, will print it out and distribute it as part of our effort to support you Thomas Paines and Paul Revere's out there. First, you have to agree or like what I wrote. Otherwise, I know you're not going to want to distribute it. But it's our joint effort at pamphleteering, getting something in people's hands to try and persuade them or motivate them. And so I call this piece, Do You Choose Liberty or Tyranny? For most of us, there are few, if any, opportunities to demonstrate our devotion to this great nation. Those among us who join the military or law enforcement and protect us from foes foreign and domestic are small in number. Yet we have the power to determine our own fate and the fate of our nation 
by the simple act of voting. And in a precious few days, we, the people, will decide for ourselves, our progeny, and for the rest of time, if America will remain a vibrant and free constitutional republic, the likes of which the world has never known, or whether America will become just another nation in decline, going the way of Athens and Rome, but in a shorter time. This election will decide, we will decide, if we wish to live in freedom or tyranny, in sunlight or darkness, in prosperity or poverty. The choice could not be starker, and the choice is ours. We must ask ourselves, what will our children and grandchildren think of us? How will history judge us? What would our ancestors say of us if we so casually and without duress turn aside mankind's greatest achievement and vote for a thousand years of decline, gloom, and doom? Each successive generation must commit to ensuring that the next generation lives free. We must reflect on the selflessness with which Americans have sacrificed and died on battlefields throughout the world and in our own revolutionary and civil wars so that we might appreciate what we have inherited, a country in which we live and flourish in a civil and open society. As I explained in Liberty and Tyranny, too often liberty's permeance makes its manifestations elusive or invisible to those born into it. Even if liberty is acknowledged, it is often taken for granted and its permanence assumed. Under these conditions, the statist's agenda, that is, the Democrat Party's diabolical plans, can be alluring. It is not recognized as an increasingly corrosive threat to liberty, but rather coexisting with it. But all liberty-loving citizens should know better and be alarmed by the ascent of tyranny, not only in the Democrat Party, but throughout the culture. Nor should we be confused or taken by the various nomenclatures designed by the Democrat Party to deceive us into believing that their movement is some kind of a people's movement, such as democratic socialism. Like all such movements, they ultimately rely on the iron fist to control the people, not serve them. As I've noted before, the Democrat Party's presidential nominee, Joe Biden, who has perfected the politics of deceit and manipulation, veils his pursuits in moral indignation, intoning in high dungeon the injustices and inequities of liberty and life itself, for which only he and his party can provide justice and bring a righteous resolution. And when the resolution proves elusive, as it has during his 47-year political career, he demands ever more authority to wring out the imperfections in mankind's existence. Hence his 110-page Marxist manifesto. Unconstrained by constitutional prohibitions, what is left but Biden's own moral compass, which has already led him astray. He's never circumspect about his own shortcomings. Failure is not a product of his beliefs, but merely want of power and resources. 
Thus are born endless rationalizations for seizing ever more governmental authority. So the Democrat Party's intention to destroy the Supreme Court by packing it with kindred ideologues, the expansion of the U.S. Senate to create a supermajority, one-party Democrat rule, the elimination of the filibuster rule to crush any opposition to the Democrat Party's lawmaking agenda, and the elimination of the Electoral College in order to prevent millions of Americans outside the big cities and most populated states from participating in the electoral and governing system, thereby ensuring Democrat Party dominance for decades. In short, the fundamental transformation of America from a constitutional republic to a Democrat Party leviathan. We must never accede to the terms of our economic and political surrender and servitude. We must never abandon our children and grandchildren to a dark and bleak future. We must never accept a fate that is alien to the legacy we've inherited from our ancestors. We must never accept social engineering by politicians and bureaucrats who treat us like lab rats rather than self-sufficient human beings. For those who choose tyranny over liberty and vote for Joe Biden and the Democrat Party, they do not speak for the tens of millions of us who revere the principles undergirding our society and appreciate the fruits of our economic system. Nor do they get to dictate the terms of our existence as they contort the Constitution and the law to accommodate their political ends. We must not be compliant to their demands and designs. We must vote. Vote for President Trump and the Republicans and rally our families, friends, and co-workers and neighbors to vote for President Trump and the Republicans. And we must, like our forefathers who founded this magnificent country, become active in our own survival. If you agree with these words, Please consider making copies of this essay, written in the early hours of this morning. Do you choose liberty or tyranny? And consider sharing it with family members, friends, co-workers, and neighbors. Spreading the word far and wide, millions of you. I get nothing out of this, except the hope that we will overcome. I'll be right back. Folks, I have something serious to talk to you about. I don't have to tell you that we're in a fight for the soul of the country. One side in our country claims that America was founded on banned principles and built on oppression. They've even put together a distorted history of America, the New York Times 1619 Project. The other side knows, like you do, that our country's done more to achieve and advance liberty than any other in history. The best way to fight back? Teach the truth. Today we can learn the true story of America from the college that's better at teaching it than any other, Hillsdale College. My friends at Hillsdale have put together a great free online course called The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. And folks, that's just what we need right now, hope. So get inspired. Sign up today for free at levinforhillsdale.com for Hillsdale's course on the glorious history of the last best hope on earth, America, and share it with others. 
That's Levin for Hillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. We uh, reposted, do you choose liberty or tyranny, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Parler, and on the home mothership website, MarkLevinShow.com. Again, I hope you'll make copies of this and distribute it. Back to basics. Back to basics. And when I was writing this, I was thinking of the men who fought the Revolutionary War and died never to even see the birth of this country and yet fought for the principles and the beliefs and the wars between then and the Civil War. And then I was thinking about the Civil War and the various battlefields we have visited. Thousands of men killed not knowing how the war would turn out Thousands in battles, each battle, and how they're all but forgotten today. World War One. Most young people know nothing of World War One. It was a horrific war. Horrific. Where deadly gases were used, and all kinds of horrible things happened. And then, of course, World War Two. The brutality of that war. And some of you fought in that war who were listening to this program. And I think of my grandfather Mo. And what he must have been thinking. When they rushed the shores of Iwo Jima. And so many were killed right on the beach. A volcanic beach. He also fought in Guam. And his brother-in-law, and my great-uncle, fought a Guadalcanal. I often think of this. I think of the, the old black-and-white movies you watch of these battles. And then there's the Korean War, which is a horrific war. The war in Vietnam so many other wars in Iraq and Afghanistan it's not my intention to list them all we'd be here all night wouldn't we do you think the people who fought for this country carrying the American flag which millionaire athletes today disgrace These men, all Americans, diverse, but it didn't matter, all Americans. What do you think they would say if you were to ask them, do you choose liberty or tyranny? Do you think they would support the bastardization of the constitutional system that they fought for, some of them died for? Do you think they'd support one-party rule? Do you think they would support something called democratic socialism? Is that what they fought for? 
Is that what they believed in? It's very interesting. Men and women of all backgrounds, all colors, all faiths, have fought our wars. And then I'm going to say something I'm really not supposed to say in the current culture. This phrase, white privilege. The vast majority of the men who fought these wars were white. Not all, I didn't say all. I said the vast majority were white. World War I, World War II, and so forth. The vast majority, not all. And all deserve our respect and our blessings and our thanks. It's not my point. Was a white privilege to fight in World War I? Was a white privilege to fight in World War II? So hateful and contemptible and perverse has the discussion become in this country. No longer do we talk about Americans. There's a political party that for too often has been the party of evil and diabolical purposes. Not all the time, but enough of the time. And that's the Democrat Party. Not the Republican Party. The Democrat Party. The Democrat Party, as you know, because you're listeners to this program, was the home of slavery. It was the party of the Confederacy. That's what it was. After the Civil War, many of its members founded something you may be familiar with, the Ku Klux Klan. It is a party that at least in significant part supported the abuse, the killing, discrimination against our black citizens for another hundred years. Now people will point to some Democrats who didn't, of course. I'm not talking about all Democrats. Today the Democrat Party stands for the evisceration of the Supreme Court, separation of powers, checks and balances, the evisceration of the United States Senate, the evisceration of a filibuster rule that is intended to allow for deliberation rather than the railroading of legislation, and the elimination of the Electoral College which eliminates the suburbs, and rural areas from participation in this government. Folks, I have something serious to talk to you about. I don't have to tell you that we're in a fight for the soul of the country. One side in our country claims that America was founded on banned principles and built on oppression. They've even put together a distorted history of America, the New York Times 1619 Project. The other side knows, like you do, that our country's done more to achieve and advance liberty than any other in history. The best way to fight back? Teach the truth. Today we can learn the true story of America from the college that's better at teaching it than any other, Hillsdale College. My friends at Hillsdale have put together a great, free, online course called The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. And folks, that's just what we need right now, hope. 
So get inspired. Sign up today for free at levinforhillsdale.com for Hillsdale's course on the glorious history of the last best hope on earth, America, and share it with others. That's levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. where liberalism ends and liberty begins. The Mark Levin Show at 877-381-3811. There's an arrogance with Joe Biden now. You can tell. He thinks he's got this election all locked down. He believes all the polls. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's not. But this gives you a little bit of insight in how he's going to treat people. He's always been a very nasty, angry man with a rather sinister look on his face, with a phony smile. And he brutalizes people with whom he disagrees. The media have concealed all of that. So here's Biden with WKRC-TV yesterday. And he's asked a question by a reporter by the name of Kyle Inskeep. Cut one, go. Gallup reported last week 56% of Americans said that they were better off today than they were four years ago, would have been under the Obama-Biden administration. So why should people who feel that they are better off today under the Trump administration vote for you? Well, if they think that, they probably shouldn't. They think 54% of American people were better off economically today than they were in our administration. Well, their memory is not very good, quite frankly. And in addition to that, we have a president who doesn't share the values of most Americans. With a president who doesn't share the values of most Americans. See what I mean? Vicious, nasty man. He was asked about 56%, not 54% of the people that are better off. Well, then you probably shouldn't support him, he said. Like, screw off. That's a majority of the people. And he says, uh, your memory's not very good. Now, that's pretty ironic coming from him. And then he resorts to the usual. We have a president who doesn't share the values of most Americans. Let let me put it to you this way. Joe Biden has been sucking at the government teat for 47 years. 47 years. We have paid this man tens of millions of dollars in salary, medical benefits, pension benefits, junkets, and God knows what else. You and me on our dime. On our dime. This is a man who who never even tried to succeed in the private sector. Because he couldn't and he wouldn't. This is the kind of man that can only succeed in government. When he talks about sharing values that Donald Trump doesn't share our values, Donald Trump is a non-politician. He's an outsider. He's built skyscrapers. He's built resorts all over the world. You know, they say he inherited some millions of dollars. But people inherit millions of dollars. They make nothing of themselves. He built so much of New York. And they try and tear him down and go after his taxes. That is a fact. That is a fact. 
He's employed tens of thousands of people of all races and creeds and religions and backgrounds. Not true with Joe Biden. Joe Biden says that Trump doesn't share our values. So Donald Trump gave all that up to run for president. Most people didn't think he could win. He won. And since before he won, as a candidate, they've sought to destroy him. As the president-elect, they've sought to destroy him. As the president, they've sought to destroy him. That's because he hasn't been in bed with the media for 50 years the way Joe Biden has. That's because he's stirred things up. He wants to change the way Washington works, and for the better. But Washington doesn't want to be stirred up. And so the Democrats and establishment Republicans are more than happy to work with the media. And it turns out the hardcore leftists in order to preserve what they want. Donald Trump does share our values. It's Joe Biden who doesn't share our values. Most of us haven't worked for the federal government for 47 years. Even the great people in our bureaucracy, most of them haven't worked for 47 years. Joe Biden doesn't even know what America's values are. This is the third time he's running for president. Third time. Because he wants to be president. He doesn't care about his own health, how old he is. He wants the power. And the power to do what? When's the last time Donald Trump talked, excuse me, uh, Joe Biden talked about individual liberty? When's the last time Joe Biden said, I love my country? I support the police. I insist on just laws and order. Law and order. He doesn't. Now you might say, well, he had a great debate performance. No, he didn't. Unfortunately, the president was debating two people. It was horrific to watch. I'm being quite honest about it. I've said it so the media can repeat it all they want. To watch how that, how that debate was handled. Horribly. And subsequently. The attacks and the attacks and the attacks. But here's Joe Biden again. This is embarrassing. Okay. This is why they don't want him talking to the press. You heard the first point. So 56% of the Americans probably shouldn't vote for me. Because he's arrogant. Here's cut two. Go. We have to come together. That's why I'm running. I'm running as a proud Democrat for the Senate when I am running as a proud Democrat for vice president. I'm running as a proud Democrat for president. He tried to uh, reverse course. He did that twice yesterday. What else did he do yesterday? He couldn't remember Romney's name. Now, I don't hold that against him. I try to put Romney's name out of my head, too. He's quite the Rasputin. But cut three yesterday. Go ahead. I got in trouble when we were running against the senator who was a Mormon, the governor, okay? And I took him on. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he's talking about. Romney ran for president. He was running against Obama. 
Uh, He'd been governor of Massachusetts. He's a senator from Utah. Quite the carpetbagger. Biden never ran against Romney, and he can't remember Romney's name. You know, it's really quite appalling what the Democrat Party has done here and what the media are doing here, protecting this man. And what about court packing? You know, I've said before, why do people keep asking him where he stands? Just say he supports packing the court. And if he doesn't, he should say, I will affirmatively prevent my party from packing the court. But he'll never say that. And so again, yesterday, WKRC-TV, I believe that's Cincinnati, cut four, go. What, before they came, what I want them to focus on is, I'd respectfully suggest, is what the packing, court packing is going on now. Never before, when an election has already begun and millions of votes already cast, has it ever been that a Supreme Court nominee was put forward? Had never happened before. So let's stop. So, so I've tried to explain this yesterday, so let me do it again, because the lies continue. We have a mishmash of voting now, thanks to these Democrat liberal states. We have one state where voting occurs, I believe it's 60 days before the election. And most states, at least 30 days before the election. And all forms of voting. So when he says this is the first time in history that a nominee's been put forward while people are voting, he's a liar. And what do I mean by that? We've never had situations like this in our history where voting goes earlier and earlier and earlier. And so what he's saying, which of course is absurd, is that, let's count it together, August, September, October, November, December, January. The last six months of a president's first or second term, he shouldn't nominate anybody to the Supreme Court? The last six months? Now, how appalling and absurd is that? What he doesn't say is 22 presidents on 29 occasions have nominated people to the Supreme Court in the last year of their presidency. I've also heard them throw around this name Merrick Garland as justification. I believe Chris Wallace did this the other day for the anger that takes place and that the Republicans started it because in his last year, Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland and the Republicans wouldn't even take it up for a vote. Let me, let me try this to see if people can understand this, so I'll talk slowly. The Merrick Garland case is precedent for nothing. It's not the first time it's happened. That situation has happened many times. That is, a president of one party nominates an individual in the last year of his first or second term, and that individual is voted down, typically, because the Senate is controlled by the opposition party. There's no requirement that the Senate take it up or that the Senate confirm. And so president's free to nominate, which is exactly what Donald Trump has done, but it turns out the Senate is of his same party. So it's moving to act to confirm 
Judge Barrett to Justice Barrett. If Obama's Senate had been a Democrat Senate, Merrick Garland, Judge Garland, would be Justice Garland. That's how it works. It's both a constitutional process and a political decision when it comes to the Senate. There's nothing new with that. So to keep saying that the Democrats were angry, and so a Republican president shouldn't nominate when he has a Republican Senate, is absurd, illogical, and ahistorical. And I hope the media out there finally grasp what I'm saying. I said it nice and slowly, so hopefully they're listening nice and slowly. This president did exactly what presidents have done in the last term, and this Senate of the same party is doing exactly what Senates in the same party have done. Confirm a nominee that's nominated by a president of the same party. In some cases, confirm a nominee who's nominated by a president of a different party, but rarely. Rarely. You know, when... uh, Franklin Roosevelt was president. One of his nominees was a fellow by the name of William O. Douglas. He nominated him. I think he was 36 or 38 years old. Had very little judicial experience. He was working for one of the FDR New Deal created bureaucracies. But he was a leftist and he was young. He wanted to get him on the court. Do you know how long his hearings were, Mr. Producer? There were none. These journalists who pretend to know American history, particularly when it comes to the courts, know nothing. I'll be right back. Folks, I have something serious to talk to you about. I don't have to tell you that we're in a fight for the soul of the country. One side in our country claims that America was founded on banned principles and built on oppression. They've even put together a distorted history of America, the New York Times 1619 Project. The other side knows, like you do, that our country's done more to achieve and advance liberty than any other in history. The best way to fight back? Teach the truth. Today we can learn the true story of America from the college that's better at teaching it than any other, Hillsdale College. My friends at Hillsdale have put together a great free online course called The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. And folks, that's just what we need right now, hope. So get inspired. Sign up today for free at levinforhillsdale.com for Hillsdale's course on the glorious history of the last best hope on earth, America, and share it with others. That's levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I just picked William O. Douglas because he was the longest-serving Supreme Court justice in American history. 36 years plus. 36 years plus. He had been chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission. FDR calls him into his office. He didn't know FDR that well. And FDR says, I'm going to appoint you to the Supreme Court. FDR nominates... Douglas on April 15, 1939, and the Senate confirms him on April 17, 1939, 48 hours later. But this hearing, they say, today is going too fast, Mr. Producer. It's going too fast. And I've been watching this hearing all day. It's been in the background, as yesterday. 
And uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett has been fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Kamala Harris is speaking now. She's talking about all the people the president killed as a result of the virus. She's so many tears below intellectually somebody like Amy Coney Barrett. It's just embarrassing. Embarrassing. And uh, Biden on court packing. He showed a little bit of ankle. But this is not really an answer either. Cut four, go. What, before they came, what I want them to focus on is, I'd respectfully suggest, is what the packing, court packing is going on now. Never before, when an election has already begun and millions of votes are already cast, has it ever been that a Supreme Court nominee... So I've answered for- this. Go on. And one of the reasons is the Constitution implies that the only shot the American people get to determine who will be on the lifetime appointment of the Supreme Court or federal courts is when they pick their senator and their president. Because the president names and the Senate advises... There's nothing in the, in, the, in the Constitution that limits a president's term when it comes to the appointment of a justice or a senator's term when it comes to a confirmation vote. He has no idea what he's talking about. He's all muddled. Go ahead. That's the focus. I've already spoken on. I, I'm not a fan of pa- a court packing, but I'm not. Ma- I don't want to get off on that whole issue. I'm not a fan. So what? What does that mean? Up or down, Joe? Up or down? I don't want to get off on that issue, ladies and gentlemen. We need to get off on that issue because that determines whether our constitution is going to function properly. It determines whether you're going to live in a free country. It determines and affects the kind of life you lead. This is the most important question in the whole damn campaign. What are you going to do to our Supreme Court if you get your way, Joe? What are you going to do? Well, I'm not a fan of this, but I'm not really going to get into this. It's shocking how most of the press, not the local press, but most of the national Washington and New York press lets him get away with this. All right, we got a lot more. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker. Somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building. We've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello America, Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, this is interesting, so it'll get almost no attention. Over at the Daily Wire, our friends over there. New York Times, experts confident pandemic to be over far sooner than expected. Trump efforts working with remarkable efficiency. Wouldn't it be sickeningly ironic if Donald Trump loses the presidency? These vaccines come through, more therapeutics come through, more control over the virus based on all the groundwork, all the spade work that that Donald Trump has done. 
for which he's been attacked viciously, wouldn't it? Any report from the New York Times indicates that experts have genuine confidence, quote-unquote, that the coronavirus pandemic will end far sooner, quote-unquote, than originally expected, and that President Donald Trump's Operation Warp Speed, the administration's efforts to facilitate and accelerate the development, manufacturing, and distribution of vaccines, therapeutics, and diagnostics, has been, quote, working with remarkable efficiency. Now, this should have been the lead on all news programs, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, and it's not. This should be the lead on all nightly news programs with the networks. It's not. It's not even being mentioned. Isn't this good news? Shouldn't this be celebrated? All the work and all the effort that this administration and the president have applied to this problem, it's going to pay off? A new report from the New York Times indicates this genuine confidence. The report published on Monday, yesterday, comes with just over three weeks left in the presidential race between Trump and Democrat presidential nominee Biden. Quote, events have moved faster than I thought possible. I have become cautiously optimistic. New York Times science reporter Donald McNeil Jr. wrote, Experts are saying with genuine confidence that the pandemic in the United States will be over far sooner than they expected, possibly by the middle of next year. The report noted that the U.S. was, quote, faring much better than it did during the Spanish influenza, unquote, which cost 675,000 American lives, adding the country's population at the time was 103 million. So that toll is equivalent to 2 million dead today. And as Josh Crosshower points out, at Hotline, the Trump campaign would be wise to cite this New York Times story as part of its closing message, particularly the success of Operation Warp Speed. Now, the report noted numerous positive developments that have come along the way as the U.S. battles the pandemic, ranging from the average age of those being infected, being significantly younger now, than at the start of the pandemic, to nursing homes becoming better at protecting their patients. Quote, sometime in the next three months, health experts say, the FDA is likely to begin granting approval to vaccines now in the works, the report said. Despite the chaos and day-to-day politics and the fighting over issues like masks and lockdowns, I'm quoting from the New York Times, Operation Warp Speed, the government's agreement to subsidize vaccine companies' clinical trials and manufacturing costs, appears to have been working with remarkable efficiency. It has put more than $11 billion into seven vaccine candidates, and the FDA has said it will approve any one that is at least 50% effective at preventing infection or reducing its severity. This is marquee news. And Mr. Producer, we've been saying this now for, what, a month? Maybe two? The report notes that Operation Warp Speed's chief scientific advisor, Anthony Fauci, oh no, it's not Anthony Fauci, Monsef Slaoui, S-L-A-O-U-I, believes that some of the early vaccine candidates will be 75 to 90% effective, and that at least two will have won approval by sometime in January. 
I wonder if Kamala Harris will take it. Quote, by then, the doctor has estimated the factories under... Con- you see, Trump has already contracted with the factories. They're already producing vaccines, these vaccines, in case they work. Already producing the vials, the syringes, already determining how to, uh, to make it available, determining the regime that they're going to use. They're way, way, way ahead. Because Donald Trump is a man of the private sector. And this is how he thinks. He's a detail man that asks a thousand questions, but you wouldn't know it from the media. This is why we hate the media. We despise the media. They've destroyed the First Amendment. And they want to install this, this half-wit Biden into the office of the presidency so Kamala Harris can run the country. By then, the doctor has estimated the factories under contract will have produced enough vaccine for 30 to 40 million people. And then another 80 to, million, 80 to 90 million people every month after that. Every month after that. So it's starting in January. Assuming nothing goes wrong, the doctor said, there will be enough doses for all 330 million Americans to be vaccinated by next June. History is going to write that this was the most amazing effort. Business schools are going to determine, management schools, what Donald Trump and his administration did to accomplish such an unparalleled feat. And look how the media and the Democrats treat it. The report noted that the military is standing by to assist in the rapid distribution of any vaccines that become available and that skepticism and hesitation at taking a vaccine may quickly fade as people begin to weigh the relative minuscule risks of a vaccine against the potential effects of contracting the virus, including, quote, the prospect of being unable to return to work, having to homeschool one's children for years, and not eating in a restaurant, flying on an airplane, or watching a movie in a theater without the specter of anxiety. I want you to think about this. Even the New York Times has to get ahead of the story because it knows what's coming. What's coming is a cure. What's coming is a cure. It may not be perfect. But it'll be perfect enough. And the reason why Biden and the Democrats didn't mention this today, the New York Times will do one story, a hit and run, and then it'll move. So it has a marker. It does this now and then to say, look, we reported this. But they reported on a Monday. You're not going to hear about this again unless the president promotes it. This is big news. It's a big deal. Because Operation Warp Speed is not only working, it works. We've done something our country's never done before, and we ought to be proud of what the president and his administration has done. We ought to be proud of what the private sector has done. American ingenuity, which they want to destroy on the left. Tax it to death, regulate it to death. With class warfare and other Marxist memes. And so the headline here is, experts, experts, believe the pandemic will be over far sooner than expected. I'm quoting them. 
and that the president's efforts, President Trump's efforts, have been working, quote, with remarkable efficiency, unquote. Anthony Fauci, who is a political operative, unfortunately, can try and stab the president in the back, stab the vice president in the back. That was my interview, Fox. That was my interview, CNN. That was my interview, MSNBC, and all the rest of the so-called newsrooms out there. My interview. And the entire interview is online. And if you had any questions about Fauci's position, I'm the one you should have asked. The words came out of Fauci's mouth in response to the questions that came out of my mouth. And when you watch the entire interview, and we played the relevant parts yesterday on this program, Fauci, Fauci is praising the administration's effort, praising the task force, praising the team, and yes, praising the president. Because after all, ladies and gentlemen, who the hell does Fauci think put this entire operation in place? They don't want to give this president credit. They give FDR credit for things he never did. They give John Kennedy credit for things he never did. And I can go on and on. But we know, we've lived this, we've participated in it. That Donald Trump is bringing and has brought the people of this country through the worst pandemic in 100 years. And he's done it faster, more efficiently, more efficiently rather, than any president could possibly do. This is the real story. Not their narrative. This is the real story. He not only followed the science, he embraced the science. He advanced the science to a point that we've never seen before. He's the science president. He's the vaccine president. And at the same time, please listen, at the same time, he was pushing efficiently and remarkably, quote unquote, Operation Warp Speed to find a cure, to find a vaccine. He was fighting to turn this economy around, which is now turning around. And every step of the way he did this while they were trying to remove him from office. While they're defaming his character. While they're attacking his businesses and his finances. While the Senate majority, excuse me, while the House majority under Nancy Pelosi would not work with the President of the United States to fight this virus. He's done it virtually all by himself. Rather than the scorn and the attacks by the media and their Democrat partners who control 95% of the airwaves and the newsprint in this country, this president should be celebrated for what he's doing. He didn't kill over 200,000 people. He saved 2 million people. And he's going to save millions more because it'll be under his presidency And under his leadership, that his administration organized the war against the virus. 
a war that we're about to win. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. By the way, Kamala Harris really is a vile, dishonest demagogue. The way she'd been questioning Judge Barrett, the way she implies that she'd be corrupt. As she used her opportunity not so much to ask questions, but to make a horrid speech. She would be a disaster. She must not be anywhere near the White House, ladies and gentlemen. She clawed her way up the top, the old-fashioned way. And now, what a nasty, vicious person. Nasty, vicious character assassin. I mean, it's really quite awful. And thankfully, her time is up. This story I just told you about that finally has to acknowledge what this president has done and his team in fighting this virus must be spread from sea to shining sea. We're living in a country that is smothering us with censorship. Smothering us with Democrat Party left-wing propaganda. It's up to millions of us to get the word out. And again, they're on my social sites. Mark Levin Show Parlor, Mark Levin Show Twitter, Mark Levin Show Facebook. Take that article and run with it. Because a cure is right on the horizon. And even the experts are stunned that this virus will have a shorter life than they expected. You never heard Fauci say that, did you, ladies and gentlemen? Fauci's enjoying enjoying the celebrity, and he is a disgrace, a disgrace. I'm going to be really direct with you. If your cellular plan is with Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, you're simply paying way too much. In fact, I think you're being ripped off. You're getting the exact same coverage you'd be getting right now with pure talk, but at a tremendously lower price. Look at your cell phone bill where it shows data usage. The average person who switches to pure talk Well, they're using less than 4 gigs of data a month. But the big carriers are charging you for unlimited data. It's like paying for an entire row on an airplane but only needing one seat. That's how Pure Talk saves the average person over $400 a year on their wireless service. Unlimited talk, 
text, two gigs of data, all for just 20 bucks a month. Now, let's say you go over your data usage. They don't charge you anything for it. Zero. Folks, switching to Pure Talk is the easiest decision you'll make today. Grab your mobile phone right now as I'm talking to you. Dial pound 250, pound 250, and say Mark Levin. Then you're on your way. And when you do that, you'll also save 50% off your first month. Dial pound 250, pound 250, say keyword Mark Levin. I don't know why you'd want to pay more for exactly the same kind of service and network. Go to Pure Talk, Pure Talk. Simply Smarter Wireless. Simply Smarter Wireless. Dial pound 250, say keyword Mark Levin. And so, in the last 90 minutes, I've left you basically with two things. You, Paul Revere's and Thomas Paine's. Mark, what can I do? Boy, you can do a hell of a lot. A hell of a lot. You know, here we're more than just, you know, talking about events. We try to effect events. You're the activist, millions and millions of you. It just takes a little bit of time. Just a little bit of your time, that's all, to help save the republic. I think I've written an essay that can be used as the old pamphleteers advance the cause of liberty. Do you choose liberty or tyranny? I'm not asking you to buy my old book, Liberty and Tyranny. In fact, I'm telling you, don't. It's that one-page essay that I would like you to send to everybody you know. You can send it, obviously, by computer. But also have it as a handout, print it out, and just say, please read this. And I've just given you the bottom line on how the president has more than succeeded in dealing with the coronavirus. And that even the experts say this virus is going to die sooner than we think. Thanks to Operation Warp Speed. That would be the president. Levin Show, where we create the talking points. Call in now, 877-381-3811. You know, as a country, there's a lot to be optimistic about. There really is. We're coming out of this pandemic. We're coming out of it. Even the New York Times has to acknowledge it. Even the experts who don't work for the federal government and seem to be invested in attacking this administration like Fauci. They acknowledge it. That Operation Warp Speed, ladies and gentlemen, is effective. We will have a cure. That is, we will have a vaccine. Starting at least, maybe in the next few weeks, but in the first month of next year. Production is already underway. Distribution is already underway. Under Biden and Obama, with the swine flu, which had a fraction of a fraction of the mortality effect than the, as this virus, they completely blew it. They completely blew it. And so now they're in a position where they attack the vaccine because Donald Trump is president of the United States. They attack the vaccine. 
They blame the president for the deaths. They absolutely ignore these blue state governors and what they did to their elderly citizens. You're going to reward that? No, you won't. But what about your friends and neighbors and co-workers and relatives? You know, taxes are complicated, especially for first-time small business owners like Ted. Like a lot of new business owners, Ted didn't know the ins and outs of self-employed taxes. He made some honest filing mistakes, and pow, the IRS nailed him with a huge tax bill. Ted struggled for years trying to solve his tax debt until the stress got so bad he began to have health problems, as you can imagine. Thankfully, Ted found Optima Tax Relief. These are our buddies. And he said having Optima standing between him and the IRS felt like having a bodyguard. Optima resolved his tax debt for thousands less than the IRS sought. Ted's story is just another example of why I strongly encourage you to get Optima, America's most trusted tax release firm. Optima has resolved over a billion dollars in tax debt for folks just like you. Call for your free phone consultation with an Optima tax associate and get the help you need. Call 800-499-6300, 800-499-6300, You know, as I'm, as I'm talking about Optima, I'm also thinking about something else. Imagine if we had a real press, not the political press, but a real press, when the president stood up or stands up in the White House press room to talk about something like this vaccine, how much we would have learned over the course of so many weeks, if not months. And yet their whole purpose was to sabotage his presidency and sabotage his presentation to the public. That was their entire purpose which they continue to do. Now, Joe Biden likes to call the president a liar, but Joe Biden's entire life is a lie. From college and law school to now his third run for the presidency, stealing, stealing. Words right out of Robert Kennedy's speeches and the speeches of so many others because he's incapable of an independent thought Joe Biden insists, as does his sidekick Kamala Harris, that the massive tax increase they have planned, ladies and gentlemen, will not affect you. They keep lying about this. They're going to eliminate the Trump tax. Many of you have received two to $4,000 as a result of that that you've been able to keep. So you're going to have to pay that plus the tax increase. So you will lose your tax cut plus you're going to pay the tax increase. Now, how do I know this? There's an excellent piece, believe it or not, at National Review. Joseph Sullivan, the median household will pay more under Biden-Harris tax plan. The Biden campaign says only the rich will pay more under his tax plan. The evidence suggests otherwise. No one can doubt that Joe Biden plans to raise taxes on households earning over 400000 The question is how the Biden-Harris tax plan, if implemented, would affect households earning less than $400,000. On cue during last Wednesday's debate, Senator Harris and Vice President Biden sparred over the subject. The answer, I think they mean Vice President Pence, don't you, Mr. Producer? 
The answer, most households would face a tax increase under the Biden-Harris tax plan. In fact, unless your household income is less than $45,000, there's more than a 90% chance that the Biden-Harris plan, if enacted, will raise your taxes. In the, in the exact middle of the household income distribution, over 95% of households can expect a tax increase if the Biden-Harris plan becomes law. Overall, 82.6% of American households can expect a tax increase. That's over 8 out of 10. And they're not all billionaires, you know. The estimate comes from the Penn-Wharton budget model at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business. Not exactly a friend of President Trump's economic agenda and one of the greatest, I must say, economic schools in the nation. Sullivan writes, when I was President Trump's White House Council of Economic Advisor on that board, in fact, we explicitly criticized the Penn-Wharton budget model's estimates of the effects of the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. If the Penn-Wharton budget model produces estimates inconvenient for the Biden-Harris agenda, then they're likely to be inconvenient truths not results of cherry-picked assumptions. These estimates produced in March 2020 as part of an analysis of the Biden-Harris tax agenda were updated in September with a comprehensive look at the entire Biden-Harris economic agenda. And the updated analysis did not include estimates specifically of how many households in each income quintile face tax increases. By all indications, there's no reason to expect March 2020's numbers on households facing tax hikes under the Biden-Harris plan to have changed. The specific provisions that drove these estimates in March were still there in September. The numbers also, it seems, line up. In March, they estimated that the plan would raise between $3.1 and $3.7 trillion in revenue over 10 years. In September, they estimated the plan over 10 years would raise $3.4 trillion, the exact midpoint that represents the average of 3.1 and 3.7. The point is, according to Joseph Sullivan, and uh, you folks who earn over $45,000 a year, you will get hit with a tax increase. Really in two ways, as I said. You're going to lose the benefit of the Trump tax cut, no matter how much Biden and Harris lie about it, you know you received the tax cut as a result of the, uh, of the Trump plan. Plus, in addition to losing that, which will increase your taxes, Biden is going to tax you. They lie and lie, and then they accuse the other guy of lying and lying. It's like Obamacare. Look how they're defending Obamacare. I wish they would defend the Constitution as aggressively as they defend Obamacare. But that's very unlikely. And yet they have no intention of keeping Obamacare. Obamacare is a ruse to get the single-payer government-run health care. Where they destroy private health care. Kamala Harris let that out of the bag months ago, but she had to pull it back. And it would be like pre-Veterans Administration before Trump brought in private competition. Now, 91% of the vets are pleased with their care that they get from the Veteran Administration. Why? Since they brought in the private sector element. What they want to do to us is destroy the private sector element. So all of you who are members of unions, or all of you who are small business owners, or all of you who are 
in small groups or whatever your situation, you're getting private health care. In the end, they intend to starve it to death and kill it. Obamacare doesn't go far enough for them. Some of you live in states, many states, dozens of them. They only have one choice. One choice is no choice. They want choice when it comes to abortion, but when it comes to insurance companies and doctors and your own health care, no choice. Conformity. You've seen your deductibles go up. Excuse me. You've seen your premiums go up. You've seen your choices go down. Obamacare is a system in decline. They go on and on, as the left always does, to try and scare the hell out of you. Well, all you people with pre-existing conditions, you won't be covered. That's a lie. Unless the Democrats vote not to cover you. Because the Republicans said, absolutely, we intend to cover pre-existing conditions. Not a single Republican in the Senate, not a single Republican in the House has said, preconditions will not be covered. Not one. And the biggest Republican of them all, the president, says they will be covered. So the Democrats like to create fictions and run against straw men. And then they like to tell you they're going to do things that they're never going to do. What happened if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor? What happened if you like your plan, you can keep your plan? What happened to premiums being cut by an average of $2,500? What happened to all that? They were lies. Obama lies. Biden lies. The media lie. And they just keep doing it. They like to tell you what their opponents are going to do, and they're not going to do any of it. And then they lie about what they're going to do. So you will see tax increases, almost all of you, period. Truck drivers, Uber and taxi drivers, people who work at grocery stores and teachers and firefighters and police officers. Everybody, pretty much. You're going to see your taxes go up under Biden. Again, in two ways. They're going to reverse the Trump tax cut, and then he's going to add a tax increase on top. Man of the people. Then they're going to destroy your health care system further. Then they're going to give illegal aliens jobs and free health care. Just start thinking about what this does. They're going to prevent poor kids from going to uh, alternative schools in their communities. They got it all figured out. I'll be right back. By the way, there's something called indirect taxation. So you're not taxed directly like a federal income tax. But their energy plans will drive up the cost of gasoline two, three, four times for a gallon of gasoline. Two, three, four times. Think about it. That's the goal, to stop you from using the combustion engine in your cars. That's an indirect tax as a result of their regulations. And when you drive up the cost of fuel like that, ladies and gentlemen, you drive up the cost of everything. The ability to bring food to your supermarket, your grocery store, trucks. The price of food is going to massively increase. The the price of clothing. Because people don't realize fuel is in a lot of your clothing. 
the price of everything across the board, it's like a massive VAT tax, like a massive VAT tax through the back door. So they will regulatory, use the regula- regulations to drive up the cost of energy, drive it up big. And this is what the president means with massive taxation, massive increase of individual federal tax, the income tax, Massive increase of the corporate income tax, massive increase on the capital gains tax, a massive reduction of the inheritance tax, so farmers and all will be going out of business. They won't be able to pass their farms on to their children. You're going to see economic dislocation and impoverishment like you've never seen before when we're trying to come out of what's already taken place. This is what the president's talking about. We're turning the corner on the economy, and these people will not only kill it, they'll bury us. But if you're prepared to pay a hell of a lot more in federal income taxes, whomever you are, a hell of a lot more for a gallon of gasoline, and a lot more as a result of the price of energy increase across the board, then Biden's your man. And not only that, it'll kill the airline industry once and for all. It'll kill the airline industry once and for all. It'll kill the automobile industry once and for all. Because these are all based on the combustion engine and the use of fuel. And if you're going to drive up the cost of fuel two, three, four times what it is today, that's it. And that'll have, uh, that'll resonate throughout the economy. Our steel workers, our aluminum workers, all the people get dirt under their nails, work on the assembly lines, you're all in deep trouble. I don't know what your union bosses are telling you, but this is going to be a disaster. You can't all be public employees. An absolute disaster. But we're here for working men and women as long as they're illegal aliens. It's appalling. What does COVID-19 have to do with losing your home? A lot. The FBI reported... That since the virus struck, cybercrime is up 75%. And it gets worse. The legal title to all our homes are online now. The crime is called home title theft, and it's everywhere. Cybercriminals find the title to your home online, forge your signature on a quitclaim deed, and refile as the new owner of your home. You're off the title. They destroy you by taking out loans against your home, steal the cash, and stick you with the payment. So in other words, you don't own the home. You have no money left in the home, and you're stuck with the payments. You may not know until you get a late payment or a foreclosure notice, but this will destroy you. Home Title Lock protects your home's legal title, however. Your home is your most valuable asset, your safe haven. Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. Now, the instant they detect tampering, they shut it down. They clamp it. But first things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. Then use code RADIO, code RADIO for 30 days free protection. That's HomeTitleLock.com, code RADIO, HomeTitleLock.com, code RADIO. You know, we're going to have the great Dr. Mark Siegel on next hour. And I want to talk about this, this, uh, Operation Warp Speed Project and its enormous success that even the New York Times has to acknowledge. Yeah, there's a cure right around the corner and that this thing's going to be cut short. The the pandemic is going to be over far sooner than originally thought. 
And it's because this president has organized the response, not Fauci, not the FDA, not the CDC, not some bureaucracy, but this president has driven it. He's driven it. And he's done it with his vice president who's run this task force. Make no mistake about it. And in some cases, it's in spite of what Fauci has been doing. A man who spends more time on TV than any other human being I've ever seen. Ever. So Mark Siegel, Dr. Mark Siegel, who is terrific. I I say he's America's doctor. He's going to be on the program. He'll walk us through some of this. He also has a fabulous new book out. The timing couldn't be better. COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. And what we see here is the president has been following the science all along. He's been pressing the scientists, private sector, to find a vaccine. And for his part, he has streamlined the bureaucracy. He has cut the red tape, not cut corners. And the Democrats are scared to death of this. It's sickening, but it's true. They are scared to death that something could be available before the election. They're hoping it's available right after the election because they plan on winning. You and I, we plan on them losing, don't we? All right, we'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, You see Dr. Mark Siegel on Fox frequently. And the reason he's on Fox frequently is the guy's like a brainiac. But even more than that, he speaks in plain English so people can understand him. And he's become a dear friend of mine, Dr. Mark Siegel. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you tonight? You sound great. I'm doing great, you know, God willing. Um, You've written a fantastic book that's relating to what's been going on, COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. And anybody can get it on Amazon.com. But even more importantly, I have it on my social sites now, on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, what's the other one again? Rich, I forget. Parlor. Why do I keep forgetting that? Uh, Dr. Siegel, the politics of fear and the power of science. I just read an article from the New York Times. And it's shocking. It says, experts are confident the pandemic will be over far sooner than expected. Trump efforts working with remarkable efficiency on Operation Warp Speed. This poor president has been trashed and attacked and kneecapped for not following the science. What do you make of this? 
No, well, that's exactly right. And and as I say in the book, fear corrodes, and fear is way more corrosive than any virus. And all of the political division and all of the attacks on the president, when actually we never would have seen this amount of innovation occur if he ha- if we hadn't seen the public-private partnership that he actually put together based on his business experience. Nobody gives him any credit for that. You know what we've seen lately with Regeneron, with with monoclonal antibodies coming out. We saw his own miraculous recovery and his enemies wishing him poorly instead of wishing him well. He's what I call in my book a fear leader because he's trying to be an anti-fear monger. He's trying to talk about the opening of society, the reopening of society. You know, he, he gives me credit for saying this first. I don't know who said it first, but the collateral damage of the pandemic is huge. And the, the, da- the lockdowns, Mark, are fear-mongering. They're the politics of fear. They're like, we have to control you in order for you to be safe from this virus. If you're not locked down, you can't be safe. And the biggest problem of all here is that the virus itself is a real problem. When they have one that isn't a real problem, they have a lot more trouble fear-mongering, like, like occurred with bird flu, which is in my book, too. Historically, they, whenever there's any kind of outbreak, there's this enormous fear-mongering. This time, they had a real virus. And they, but they fear-mongered more than ever before, and it's been very destructive to our society. The president's been trying to lead us out of it. You know, Dr. Mark Siegel, I interviewed Dr. Anthony Fauci on March 22nd of this year, and he was full of praise for the administration's efforts, for the task force, for his own work, for the work of the team. Uh, he also praised the president of the United States, and they run a commercial and I don't, I don't understand. The guy's all over TV trashing the commercial. I never said that it was taken out of context. And if I actually play my entire interview, it's even more praiseworthy. What, what is going on there? Well, that has to do with getting wrapped up in the media too much and playing to different outlets and going on TV and hearing the sound of your own voice. And I don't think anybody's really ever understood or wanted to understand that President Trump's been tolerant of a lot of different views, disparate views, and he takes information and he puts it together and he makes decisions. There's nothing wrong with that, but going on cable TV to trounce your boss essentially is not good and it's not acceptable. So it's okay to disagree, but you should be saying that in the in the confines of, of the Oval or somewhere where you're talking privately to the president. I don't understand that either. And by the way, there is a difference between virology and public health. I mean, Dr. Fauci's a an incredible vaccine expert and virologist, but one of the problems with this situation is we're using 19th century public health measures to try to control this virus, and they work a little, but they have tremendous, tremendous costs. We're a society where you've got to be able to get dental care. You know, and, and, and president understands that. And, you know, restaurants, I mean, 100,000 restaurants, I found out yesterday, the National Restaurant Association, Mark, 100,000 restaurants are closed. And 40% of all restaurant owners say they're going to be closed within the next six months if they remain in a lockdown situation. And I keep reading that these lockdown situations, as you uh, inferred early on, are very little help. Is that right? Well, there are almost no help. And I, I wish, and I know your listeners have figured this out before I say it. You know what they are? They're punitive. They're basically saying, we don't believe that you can sp- stop spreading this virus unless we keep you at home. Well, that's like how you talk to a third grader. Actually, I'm being unfair to a third grader, aren't I? I mean, and there's no evidence that they slow the spread of the virus either, because we did a study here in New York which shows that 70% of the viral spread occurs at home. 
Mm-hmm. Lock everyone down. They're going to spread it among themselves. It doesn't. It does not improve. Now, this, this is a fascinating point because it it overlaps with a with a point the CDC came out with today or yesterday. I read so much. Eighty five percent of the coronavirus suffers regularly wear masks, and which kind of overlaps with your point where so many of the people who get it are at home. In other words, doctor, this is a virus. You can do what you can try and do to, to prevent it. But what you're saying and what your book says, don't destroy your country and fight it because it's not going to work anyway. I call masks, exactly right, Mark, completely agree. I call masks a fear prop. It's like a religion, the mask religion. Even if it's a dirty mask hanging off your face, you know, you come right up next to somebody. You zoom right up next to somebody and cough on them with your dirty mask thinking you're invulnerable to spread. You know, that's, it's the dogma that's, that we've seen on the left has been almost to the form of a religion, an intolerance, a derision, a, a division. That's all based on fear. Fear is the strongest force in the human brain. It's the strongest emotion. It can only be overcome, by the way, by courage, like you just saw from the president, kindness. How come the president, when, he, when I interviewed him last week, he talked about his empathy for other COVID sufferers. And I want to know how come the left doesn't give him a nod for at least taking an experimental drug that's not even approved under compassionate use. That's courage. That's courage. He's got enormous energy. It is an amazing thing to me. Uh, So they now, the CDC is raising questions about the effectiveness of masks. You know, the CDC was blind, kind of working its way through this. Um, HHS generally, Fauci too, and they say the president didn't follow the science. Well, it seems to me early on the government scientists weren't sure what the science was. Well, to be totally fair to the situation, what really happened is, and we've talked about this before, Mark, what happened is that the, the virus was exported from China. The World Health Organization covered that up. And this is all in my book, by the way. The virus goes to Europe. I mean, China shuts down domestic travel, thank you very much, but not travel to Europe. The president shuts down travel from China, but the CDC is not allowed boots on the ground. They undersell it and underplay it here. They say that it's only 14 cases that they're keeping under control. I went to Nebraska for Tucker Carlson, and I, I interviewed all the people in the quarantine unit, and they whispered to me, hey, there's not 14 cases. This thing is spreading throughout our communities already. That's what was going on, and, that, and the CDC didn't do what their job was supposed to be, which is control and prevention. That's not the president. The president was aggressive about this virus from the beginning. The Centers for Disease Control was behind the, behind the eight ball, and it wasn't simply that they didn't have the tests they needed. They didn't have a sense of the virus. Mm-hmm. Now we have a sense of this virus. And we have this article in the New York Times, but we didn't even need the article in the New York Times. This Operation Warp Speed is the real deal, isn't it, Doctor? It's fantastic. Look, look what we have done with this virus in, in record time under, under the president's leadership. We have the idea of an antiviral drug that works. We have the idea of steroids that work. More than that, we have these antibodies that work. And the president said to me in July, by the way, Mark, how prescient this turned out to be. He said... I envision a day where people are going to walk into the hospital, get a, get a shot, and walk out the next day. I think he was seeing into his own future because he took mm. the Regeneron and he was better in a day or two. And now we have the vaccines coming, 167 candidates, and six of them in final stages of trials. And I hate to suggest this, but you already know what I'm going to say next. Politics is slowing it down right now, isn't it? 
Mm-hmm. Politics is making it so that it can't, we can't get one out before Election Day. Politics. But Operation Warp Speed is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this in human history. We've never seen this speed of manufacturing. The whole idea of putting manufacturing together with the science and not slowing it down has never, ever been done before. And this is a huge win and a huge success. This is why you're adored by my audience and other audiences. Dr. Siegel, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I'm an internist. I started off as a writer. I did graduate writing. I'm sure you're not surprised at that. And I, I studied internal medicine, and then I did some training in cardiology, but I got very interested in infectious diseases. And then I, I started when the, right after 9-11, I came up with a theory. And again, all of this is in, is in my book, COVID, The Politics of Fear. After 9-11, I noticed that as a society, we were, we were propagated, promulgated with fear. I think that we had never been attacked before. And after 9-11, we felt vulnerable, and one health scare occurred after another, and we started overreacting to all the health scares. And I noticed how the media was covering this in an inflammatory way, Mark. Words rifling through the community, scourges. I mean, it gets ratings, right? But the left mm-hmm. loves this stuff, and the media loves this stuff, but this, these fear words make us feel that it's going to happen to us. So then I, then I studied fear, and I found out that it's in the, in the deepest part of the human brain, and that, and that fear overrides reason all the time. And we humans think we're assessing risk, when in reality, fear gets us every, every time. And that's, that's true in the animal kingdom. I mean, if, if a mouse sees a lion through a plane of glass as thick as, you, as your arm, and th- that lion can't get through the glass, the mouse sees the lion, it's positive it's going to be attacked, and it reacts accordingly. Mm-hmm. We're the same way. And politicians, especially the po- politicians on the left, manipulate us to be afraid in order to control us, in order to get our votes, in, or- in order really to take our money and destroy the society, which is, which is what we're in danger of now. Andrew Cuomo... Obviously, the governor of New York put out a policy statement, an order, a directive in late March. I have a copy of it because they took it off their website and every other site they have. Directing uh, nursing homes and assisted living homes to take corona-positive patients. And we had a call here from from the medical director of one of those um, nursing homes that day telling us this was a disaster, they're going to lose patients, we're not prepared for this, we don't know how to handle an infectious disease, you know, we handle all kinds of things, and it's going to affect the elderly and so forth. That has to be the biggest boneheaded move throughout this entire pandemic, don't you think? That's a great tragedy, and he bears responsibility for that terrible order because the nursing homes are kindling for for the spread of a virus. You know, older people, in this case, very vulnerable, pre-existing conditions, close together. It's a joke to say you're going to be able to separate out people that are sick with COVID in that situation, whereas the governor of Florida, by the way, jumped on this right away and sent personal protective equipment to every nursing home and had everybody tested and Phone calls were made to every family for a positive patient. They were sent to hospitals and not sent back. This was a great disgrace, and it's what led to thousands and thousands of deaths here in New York. I, I, and, 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 and not just in New York, but in New York it was almost willful. And, and, and then, of course, the governor then ended up taking a victory lap for the lockdowns when, when almost half the deaths here occurred in these nursing homes due to that statute you're talking about. A, a terrible disgrace. And led to the fear, more fear. Yeah. Now, uh, we're going to go to a commercial. I don't know. Do you have time to stay another segment, or do you have to run off to Fox or something? I'm ready, ready to wait. I'm really enjoying this. I'm, I'm hanging on. 
All right, it's a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a tremendous book. It's the perfect book. COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. You can go to Amazon.com, Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show uh, Twitter, Mark Levin Show Parlor. Man, we're everywhere. Just get the book. You're going to love it. It's a very important book, COVID, The Politics of Fear and Power of Science, the great Dr. Mark Siegel. I call him America's doctor. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Dr. Mark Siegel, you've heard him and seen him on Fox. He's written a magnificent book, COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. You know, Dr. Siegel, um, Joe Biden said it was today or yesterday to senior citizens in Florida. When's the last time you hugged your kid? Now, we got Fauci saying stay six feet apart. We've got wearing the masks. What the hell is it that they want from this president? It, it's just the, the, the politicization, the exploitation by the Democrats, by Biden. I don't mean to drag you into my world, but it's just so awful. They talk about uniting the country when even when it comes to the vaccine, they're raising questions, political questions about a vaccine. I'm really disturbed by the fact that there doesn't seem to be any consistency of message, and that is another thing that breeds fear. If you can't feel the consistency, and again, the hypocrisy was at its greatest where the president got sick and nobody was even wishing him well, which is, I, I, even I didn't think that that was going to happen. But, it, but in terms of, you know, the, the disparate, this, this separation in message among the Democrats, that proves what the, the hypocrisy is. You know, wear a mask in the middle of Montana when you're out in the field and nobody's around you. How about what the Democrats have done to schools. I mean, the 100 biggest school districts in the country, 70% of them are closed. I heard from the head of Medicaid services, Medicare Medicaid services the other day, that we're 78% down on dental services for our children and development disabilities, diagnosing it down 45%, and immunizations, shots for other diseases, down 23%. Kids are suffering from socialization problems because they're not in schools. And a study just came out of Brown, of all places, where it turns out that only one in a thousand kids even gets COVID. So there's no rationality to this. It's just muscle. It's just saber rattling. It's just control through fear. And as you said, and this is the most important thing, the biggest tell 
is that they don't want to give the president any credit for all of this biotechnology that has been enormous, all of this accomplishment that has been enormous. And, and, and as I went to write my book and I put all this together, I couldn't believe the amount that has been accomplished in terms of treatments and the vaccines. And we're going to get a vaccine. You know, as the president said to me, we'll probably get a vaccine on November 4th. I mean, how how Mm -hmm. awful is that, that we have to politicize vaccines? Mark, you know, there's a big problem with people taking vaccines in this country. So why don't we spread more fear? Kamala Harris should be ashamed of herself for spreading fear of a vaccine when that's going to lead to noncompliance, when we have an emerging vaccine created by Operation Warp Speed that we need people to take. All these schools, as you say, that are closed, the president keeps begging these governors in these towns, open your schools, open your schools. There is absolutely no scientific reason, doctor, correct, for keeping these schools closed the way they are. No, as a matter of fact, I know firsthand that what kids do when they're out of school is they spread the virus, or not necessarily the virus, because, again, I told you it's a perception issue. Everyone feels they have the virus. The Democrats want you to feel you have the virus or you're on verge of having it, even in, if you're in the, an area where there isn't a virus for thousands of miles. You have it. You're about to get it. But closing the schools ultimately would probably lead to more viral spread if there's any virus around. But it's causing a second pandemic. And, and not to mention one word I haven't said yet, which is depression. A recent study shows that 28 percent of Americans are depressed. Sure, they're out of work. Sure, they can't go to a restaurant. Sure, there's no movies open. Here in New York, New York looks like it's post-apocalyptic. President Trump told me when I was down there in July, he doesn't even recognize New York anymore. It's gray. The only thing going is construction. <laughs> but, but, you know, there's no, there's no restaurants, there's no opera, there's no movies, there's nothing in New York anymore. And it's, it's, the, the, it's not rational. It's fear-driven. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time with the great Dr. Mark Siegel. We'll have him back. But here's the deal. Act now to get this book. I'm not kidding. It's right in front of me. COVID, the politics of fear and the power of science. Nobody breaks this down like Dr. Mark Siegel. I encourage you to go to Amazon and get it right now. If you're on any of my social sites, we have linked to it. Thank you, Dr. Siegel, and God bless you, my friend. Thanks, Mark. It's all in the book, what we just said, and you're an inspiring leader yourself. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S.
Nobody says it better than Mark Levin. I'll go with what Mark Levin said, because nobody could say it better. Call in now at 877-381-3811. As you know, America, we're trying to take the House of Representatives and remove Nancy Pelosi once and for all from our lives as the Speaker of the House. Uh, And uh, one of the candidates in one of the districts that's very, very important that we should be able to take is Wesley Hunt from the Texas 7th Congressional District. Wesley, how are you, sir? I am doing fantastic, sir. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Now, tell people about the district, the kinds of towns that are in there and so forth. Oh, yeah. So it's actually the suburbs here in Houston. Uh, It's been a Republican district for quite some time, uh, actually. It's uh, the former district of George H.W. Bush and then uh, Bill Archer and John Culberson. And for the first time in over 40 years, we have... uh, a Democrat representative right now, and I'm running as a Republican to take this seat back, and I think it's one of the most important districts in the entire country, primarily because we are talking about Houston, Texas, being the energy capital of the world, Mm -hmm. and if you want to talk about the energy district of the world, it would be mine. Really? Because the entire energy corridor is encompassed in this district right now, and it is currently being run by one Lizzie Fletcher, who votes with Nancy Pelosi 99% of the time. So you have a congresswoman who's so left-wing, she's probably closer to AOC, and probably wants to eliminate uh, fossil fuels. Yeah, that's exactly right. And look, you know, sir, I'm I'm a millennial, and I, I don't want to... I'm not a climate denier, of course, but I do understand the idea of you, we can't get to the next abundant and affordable energy source in our world without Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure that the energy capital of the world and the energy district of the world is protected by somebody who understands the values of what Houston, Texas brings to our community. Now, tell, tell the nation a little bit about yourself. I will, sir. Thank you so much. Um, I was uh, born and raised right here in Houston, Texas, and I come from a military family. My dad did 23 years in the Army. He retired as a, as a lieutenant colonel. Uh, my sister went to West Point and my family first. Wow. Uh, she did 23 years active duty. Uh, she retired as a lieutenant colonel as well and uh, currently uh, lives here in Houston. Uh, I went to West Point in my family second, did eight years active duty as an Apache wow. helicopter pilot. Uh, and my brother is also a West Point graduate. Holy mackerel. Well, I'm going to tell you something, sir. I don't hold it against him. He he did some time in the Navy. <laughs> my family doesn't hold that against him, of course. <laughs> You've got a very patriotic family. Yes, sir, we do. And uh military family. And uh, tell us anything else. What I want to tell you is that, and, and everybody listening, is that you know this is a country of values, and, and our American values are currently under attack. And I think that we need people to step up every single day to preserve those values in our way of life, as my family has done. There's over 60 years worth of military service just in my immediate family, and we aren't special. We have been doing this for generations, and our Constitution, that is a 
living and breathing document that we abide by every day has got to be preserved for our future. And currently, I have a 20-month-old baby girl, and I have a 16-day-old daughter as well. Wow. And, and I'm going to say something you, you haven't mentioned. Go ahead, yeah. And I want people to know this just because you haven't mentioned it. You're an African-American. Yes, sir. I haven't mentioned it. Do you know why, sir? Yes. Because I view myself as an American. I know that. I know that. But I, <laughs> but I, but I want people to know yeah. uh, that your entire family, how patriotic your family is, I want people to know that uh, you're running on liberty and you're running on opportunity. And, uh, and let me ask you this. Yes, sir. How's the fundraising going in your community for you versus your opponent? We are doing well as an individual candidate, but I will also let you know that obviously my opponent, Lizzie Fletcher, is pooling money through Act Blue from the coast. So a lot of money is pouring here in Texas from California and New York and Massachusetts, and basically it's Texas versus everyone else. So any help that we can get, we certainly do appreciate. As well as we are doing, we have to make sure that we remain competitive uh, with the country right now. And right now we have a seat that Nancy Pelosi is trying to buy. And I want to make sure that she is not allowed to do that. And that's an expensive media market, isn't it? It's one of the most expensive, top three most expensive media markets in the entire country. So let's help, ladies and gentlemen, Levinites. It's Wesley fredtexas.com w-e-s-l-e-y fredtexas.com wesley fredtexas.com how you how's your ground game there ground game is great sir you know what i really am most proud of is we have 180 over 180 um, uh, college age and high school students that are currently working on the campaign that are going out they are block walking safely of course and phone banking every day for us. And that's what it takes to win an election like this, particularly in a district that should be in Republican hands. And most importantly, people like you, sir, that have allowed me to be on your show, that want to support us to make sure that we maintain the liberties of our country and districts like this that should certainly be in Republican hands. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the site, again, is wesleyfortexas.com. W-E-S-L-E-Y for Texas.com. Wesley, I wish you all the best, my friend. You go ahead and you take that seat back. We will, sir. Thank you so much, and God bless you. And God bless you, too. Man, we have great candidates, don't we, Mr. Producer? I mean, really great candidates. Yeah. By the way, uh, the NBA Finals ratings crashed by nearly 70%. By nearly 70%. And Newsweek has a piece saying that Donald Trump is is lying about that. No, actually, it's 70%. And um, this is what I call uh, BDSing, people who don't appreciate us, people who don't like us. Look, if you're going to attack your fans or a big chunk of your fans, if you're going to attack a big chunk of your fans, uh, they shouldn't be supporting you. And these millionaire, and really in the case of LeBron, probably billionaire athletes, uh, I've just had enough of it. And so the the BDS movement, as I call it, against, uh, well, as the the enemy of America and Israel calls it, but I'm calling it here, this BDS movement, uh, we can turn it on the left. If you think there's systemic racism when there's not, 
when you uh, accuse people of things that you cannot prove. In other words, when you act like bigots, then you're going to get some pushback in this country, and you should. Do you know what big tech and big government have in common? They can both attempt to censor you. And we've had that effort here, Mr. Producer, with Facebook, haven't we? A lot of efforts by Facebook to censor us, and we've been duking it out. But trust me, if it gets too ugly, I keep, keep telling you, and we're warning them, uh, I'm going to take out my, uh, my brass knuckles. Let's go to some calls, shall we? Yes, we can. All right. Brenda, Manhattan, New York, the great WABC. Go. All right, let me refresh this. Brenda's gone, unfortunately. Ricardo, Miami, Florida, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hey, Mark, how are you? Okay, how are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Just uh, uh, hopefully I have some time, but just to see if we can, you know, send a better message to the people. I mean, I believe that this is beyond, obviously, as probably you believe, beyond Democrats and Republicans. I mean, that is the socialism behind it. But my concern is that we use the word socialism as a, you know, as a word that everybody likes. It's, we have developed, you know, some type of romanticism with the word socialism, left, you know, left wing, and people love that. People like that. People enjoy it. So they don't really understand what that means. And I think we need to, especially the media, you know, people like you, people like Hanny, the talker, Paint a vivid picture of what that means and what they're going to get once that the Socialist Party, uh, you know, get into power because it's not about the Democrats anymore. I mean, they have been, I think the Democrats made a mistake. They saw that they were using all these, you know, black movement and everything that has been happening in the country to gain power, but actually it's the other way around. I think they have been used and there is a no, I, I don't think they've been used. I think they've been taken over. And well, I, think, I think it's the vessel through which the, and I call them Marxists, the vessel through which the Marxists now operate. Exactly. And, and look, is, is China, you know, is Iran, is North Korea, Russia, and every other country that hates the American dream, they don't have to be communist countries. They don't have to be socialist countries, but they use the dogma of, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So they will do anything that they can do to make sure that Trump is not in power. And, you know, because obviously they hate him. You're right. So, but the problem is that the normal people, the regular people, they don't see that. You know, mm-hmm. when, when, when I see, when I hear everybody using the word socialist, it's like, oh, okay, socialism. Honestly, I don't use the word socialism. I use the word Marxism. And I'll tell you why I do that. Because when you use the word socialism, people think, oh, France. Oh, the UK. It's just an economic system. No, actually, uh, it, is, it is a halfway step to Marxism. So I call it Marxism. But that's, you know, why they cannot show that, why we cannot teach the people, I mean, why they cannot paint, again, a vivid description of what that means. Because, because we have a lot of censorship in this country, because we really do not have a free press in this country. We have uh, a media that demands conformity. We have universities and colleges that are, that are, uh, that are not places of academic freedom or free speech, 
these, these are simply institutions that have been devoured from a hundred years of so-called progressivism. That's what they call themselves. And look how an ideology, in my view, a, an autocratic ideology, look how it identifies itself. Look at its nomenclature, to your point. Oh, it's progressivism. They must be progressive. No, they're not. They're a throwback. Ricardo, I want to thank you. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. That Wesley Hunt is something, isn't he? Every program I'm doing up to and through Election Day is crucial. So I hope you'll continue to join us. You'll continue to use this as appointment radio. We're not going to be frivolous. We never are anyway. Frivolous in any way. We dig deeply into these issues. We want you to be so informed. To have the tools to just talk to anybody and everybody you know who you think will vote the right way. And so that's what we've done tonight. That's what we did last night. That's what we're going to do every night. And to make it even easier, you go to marklevinshow.com. That's our website. And up there, we work very hard to have the daily recap. The daily recap has the audio of the show. It has the articles or the research that I reference. And in about 24 to 36 hours, it also has a transcript, a rough transcript of the first hour. So we want to make it as easy as possible for you, Paul Revere's, I knew Thomas Paine to get out there, and I truly hope you'll use the short essay that I wrote this morning and post it on all my social sites and post it on marklevinshow.com, the website. I truly hope you'll take that, send it to everybody on your email list, everybody on your text list, and make some copies of it yourself and hand them out. I'm telling you, if we do this, if you do this, nothing can stop us. So let's recap. This is our national town hall meeting. We meet here every day, and we're certainly meeting here every day up until and through the election. This is what we do. You're Levinites, you're patriots. You want to save the country, and we're three weeks. I know, it's nerve-wracking. Three weeks until election day. And those of us who intend to vote on election day, we need to make sure five or ten people are voting with us. Either through absentee ballots or, yes, mail-in ballots, but in any way. You're the precinct worker. We cannot rely on the RNC, even though they're doing a good job. We cannot rely on others. It's not what can we do, it's what can I do. And you can do it. You can do it starting this evening if you haven't already. But it's going to get late. 
I've given you a few tools today. One is my essay, Do We Choose Liberty or Tyranny? As I say, you can electronically send that digitally, send that anywhere in the world, anywhere in the country to your entire list, I hope. Post it on your own sites. And make hard copies of it, too. So if you're walking your dog, you're walking down the street, or you're in the office, hand them out. Hand them out. There's also an article we're posting about the enormous progress that's been made in dealing with the coronavirus, the cure that's around the corner. This is no joke. This is no hype. And the tremendous role the President of the United States has played in organizing this entire thing. We've got to push back on the Democrat Party media and the Democrat Party narrative now. Senior citizens, I hope you're paying attention to this. Very, very important. You're being lied to by Joe Biden and your media. So that's very important, too. And also, we have brought to you candidates. Candidates who need to get elected if we're going to save our country as well. Take our house back and get rid of Nancy Pelosi. And Mark's, uh, Dr. Mark Siegel's book is terrific. You can go to Amazon or my social sites and get yourself a copy. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And I salute you, Levinites. You're going to make the difference in this election. You're under the radar. That's great. See you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.